0: Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we are in Hollowville, New York, just south of Albany, sitting in Howard Branston's office. In case you don't know who Howard is, he's got a storied career of almost 66 years in architectural lighting design, but there's a lot of other things that inspire him and drive him to be excellent at just about anything he does. Please join me in welcoming Howard to the light pod. Hey Howard, how are you doing? It's really good to see you. Thanks again for hosting me really good to be here i'm doing
1: swell i'm having a great time
0: i'm having a great time too and you know i'm happy that you're happy to be here because we are sitting in your office in your home in upstate new york which by the way is not only beautiful but extremely charming i appreciate you having me here this weekend it's been a lot of fun it's been a pleasure for me too let's catch up just a little bit more about what it's been like for you to live your life and do so many incredible things but i want to take it all the way back to the start Earlier this week, you were telling me a story about how you got into lighting, and it was an opportunity that you almost didn't even know that
1: existed to begin with. Walk me through what happened. I was always indoctrinated by my parents to choose a career that had meaning, like being a doctor, a lawyer, or at least a CPA. My love was the theater, art, and tennis. None of those fit into the choices my parents had selected for me, but I was a good boy. When I got to college, I enrolled in very straightforward, pre-med kind of studies groups. Took a couple of weeks for me to get bored, and I quit. Switched, turned my major into being a theater major and an art secondary and philosophy minor. That all suited me perfectly,
0: and it made me happy. And when you decided to switch to a theater major, you were a freshman at Brooklyn College in Brooklyn, New York but you were only 16 years old because you had come from a different education system, having moved from Canada when you were nine years old to the United States. Who was in that theater program, and what opportunities did you get so early on that you didn't necessarily expect? I didn't expect
1: anything. I just knew that I wanted, did not wish to do what I was doing, and I wanted to be in the theater, I wanted to be an artist, I wanted to be anything but a doctor, lawyer, or a CPA. So... With no expectations, I went to try out, but I was intimidated by the sophistication of the much older college students, so I retreated. I was gone for about a week. I said, you know, if you don't do something, you're going to be unhappy. So when the next call came for the next play, I showed up again, and I was listening to all the different tryout things you could do like be a a costumer, you could be a scene designer, you could be anything. I said, Howard, if you don't volunteer for something, you will get nowhere. Somebody said, we need somebody to work on lighting. I said, I'll do that and raised my hand. And that that was the start. I didn't know anything about lighting or anything about what lighting in the theater really was despite having been an actor in grammar school and high school. So I began to do my homework. i got books on light, lighting this, that, and the other thing, and really put heart and soul into being able to make a contribution to this new role as being a lighting assistant. As I got to do this work, I got to understand it better, appreciate the results of what good lighting would do and it fascinated me, and so I stuck with it. I tried other things, but it seemed to me that I was doing best when I was working with light. So that became my career.
0: And as light became your career, I think that there was probably a couple things that happened along the way that propelled you to say, "Hey." I'm interested in this and this help fulfills my desire to execute something and do something at a a certain level. Take me back and walk me through the experience of what it was like to do something maybe no one had done before. You might not have been allowed to do, but you did it anyways.
1: Being a, a sophomore at this point, I was told that when I came back to school that the school was gonna hire a graduate student from one of the major theater universities and then I, they would help. I was being asked to help get these new theaters that we were building at Brooklyn College at that time built and built properly. So I was given the chance to do that. Now how did this happen? I was given the ch- opportunity to light a little studio production. I went to the studio theater and looked at it, and it didn't meet all of the things that I wished to do. Walk walk me through uh, real quick, how small was that small studio space and where was it in the building? Directly below the main theater. It seated about 60 people. It was just meant for small plays, small productions, to test acting, scenery, this, that, and the other thing. But it was very, very important to me this was my chance to show what I could do, despite only being a sophomore. So what did you do? It was clear to me that if I wanted to do everything I wished to do, I would have to get some of the controls from the main theater down to the floor below to the studio theater. So I ran cables from the main theater down through the ducts into the studio. Then I got some of the extra lights that weren't being used for production, and I attached those within the little studio theater. Got it all exactly the way I wished to do. And then the production opened. Sitting in the audience was a tall, very distinguished gentleman who evidently was some sort of a theater buff and he came to see all the student productions. When it was over, he said, this is really remarkable. Who did this? They pointed to me, Howard did this. So he came over and he said, I really appreciate what you did. It was really quite beautiful, but I am the head of building and maintenance for the Brooklyn College campus, and I've seen what you've done. And if you ever pull lighting cords from the main theater down here again, I will have you thrown out of school. Wait a second. So <laughs> you,
0: you you were being praised and at the same time being threatened, saying what you did shall never, ever be done again because you've broken the rules. Yes, but you came back to school the next
1: year. I came back. You know, it was it was really quite amazing. because This was a giant of a man and with great authority. So I was terrified in a way. But I dutifully did what he said. Pulled out all the cables, restored everything to the way it was. When the semester was over, it went away. I went back to doing what I was doing when the next semester rolled around I came racing back to school excited to meet the new employee from some famous theater school. And who was it? I went into the theater office and who was there but the superintendent of buildings and grounds. I said "Uh uh-oh now what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of terror in my heart. Surely you wondered I was in trouble again? I I, I was sure I was in trouble I didn't I don't know what I did but I was feeling guilty anyway. He looked at me and said, Howard, we've talked a lot about, we've interviewed all these college students, and we've watched you work this whole semester, doing your job, you know, going to school, and helping get the new theater built properly. And your studiousness in looking at all the new equipment that had essentially had never been used before very much because there was no computers. This was the first multi-scene preset board, one of the first three in the world.
0: That was probably, what, about uh,
1: 1950-something. I could not believe my ears. They were offering me a job to uh, to continue doing what I was doing, and I would get paid. I said, I'd be delighted to do this, thank you. And I got the job, an assistant to the technical directors of the theater and help to get this new theater built, ready to go to start showing productions.
0: So as a 17 year old and a sophomore in college, you'd quickly gone from breaking the rules, being told you couldn't come back to school if you ever did anything like that again, to having that exact same person turn around and not only recognize you for your ability to do something creative, but uh, get a paid opportunity. What do you think drove you to, so to speak, break those rules?
1: Being a philosophy minor, I would be always thinking up some rule for myself. So one of the rules was, rules are a substitute for thinking, and I was not going to not think. That was my, I thought, was my strength. In high school, I was blessed with having a man named Leon Friend, a great artist, who was the head of the theater group and had his own little theater team was his art squad so I was a member of the art squad and it was a blessing to me because I really got to get a sentence that stuck with me for the rest of my life. And what was that sentence? Leon occasionally would get up in front of class and say in front of you is a blank piece of paper that's the opportunity for a work of art let's see what you can do.
0: And how old were you? You were
1: in, this was in grammar school? That was, no, that was in high school. That was in high school, I'm sorry. But that, that's still with me today. Every time I get a new job, I, there's Leon looking over my shoulder saying, there is a blank piece of paper in front of you. That's the opportunity for a work of art. Let's see what you can do. Every single project is looked at with an open mind and with a spirit of being creative. Doing something that it will be memorable, and to be and it will be serviceable, etc.
0: So here you are with your first job, 17 years old. You're in the theater. You're being inspired by an art teacher from high school. But there was so much more ahead of you because you were only 17 years old. I think though there are some other things that you had been doing since you were a young child too.
1: Yes, I was doing all kinds of things. My father was a hunter and a fisherman. I would be taken out on hunting trips, on fishing trips, and doing things. And in order to do that well, you had to be a great marksman. So I would practice carefully. To be a fisherman, you had to have all kinds of skills. And I thought, if I'm gonna be a good hunter, I'm gonna be a great marksman. If I'm gonna be a good fisherman, I'm gonna be a great fly caster, a great bait caster. I'm gonna do all of these things. It was clear to me, if you're gonna take on something, Do it well. It's mind over matter. You just have to apply yourself to do as good as you can do. When you really apply yourself completely, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And to me, it was clear I could do this stuff. So I I was trusted as a little boy, five years old. My father would leave me on a farm that was owned by a friend of his. And the farmer would give me a rifle and a handful of bullets and say, go out and shoot us some rabbits for dinner. My grandmother would say, go out there and catch me a chicken. We're going to have chicken for dinner tonight. She couldn't run as fast as the chickens could get away. But I could run and catch the chicken and bring it in. She'd give it the chop and we'd have chicken for dinner. And it was clear to me, anything that was given as a task, if you learned how to do it well, it weighed, it bore great rewards and the rewards are an incentive to excel. And that spirit sort of became part of my very being. Every time there, one of these opportunities came up, that was something else that you could do, that you could excel at if you put your mind to it. And then I would find things that I liked. If I didn't like them, I didn't do them. If I did like them, I did them well. It didn't pay to do anything that you weren't going to do well. So you were
0: passionate about hunting, about fishing. You were passionate about lighting, but really what you were passionate about was doing things to the best of your ability that interested you. And I think that most people in the lighting community not only recognize your name, but they recognize everything that you've done for architectural lighting, for the International Association of Lighting Designers, for the Illuminating Engineering Society, and all these other groups out there that have looked to... To someone who has dedicated seemingly their life to lighting. But really, I think you've dedicated your life to not being a perfectionist, but to doing everything to the best of your ability. So let's do one thing. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more about how the ability to be a marksman was executed almost to perfection. And we'll talk about that trip that you had to Africa. Sound good? Sound good hey it's sam real quick the light pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas education and well a little bit of entertainment we're here for you so that you can learn about what's going on in the lighting industry catch up with legends like howard branston or learn about what's going on in the industry today there's an opportunity for you to learn two minutes at a time check us out at lighteye.com that's l-y-t-e-i And welcome back to The Light Pot. We're just spending a little bit of time with Howard, learning about how he always took an opportunity to do anything he put his mind to, to the best of his ability. Howard, I wanted to tell a story with you that people might not know quite everything about, which is that room full of large big game from a 30 day trip. Africa that truly, in my opinion, would culminate how good of a marksman you were. Walk me through why you decided you wanted to go to Africa.
1: I was on the rifle team in college, shooting rifles since I was five years old. Some of that shooting was meant so that we could eat dinner. So I had to be good. I had to actually succeed in getting something. It was the only reward in getting a perfect kill. So I would practice in college. When I was on the rifle team, I shot 100 rounds a day to stay on the team because the coach was very, very adamant about being perfect. And when you're out there doing 100 rounds a day, every day, five days a week, you got pretty darn good. The sense of accomplishment of something like that is so rewarding. That's incentive to show how important it is to have your mind. It's mind over matter. It was just dedication to doing this one thing. Well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do the best I can. And so I did it and um, it paid off. Then I went to see a movie called Out of Africa. There were some amazing scenes, people facing angry lions and other very dangerous animals and how they could handle themselves. I thought, I wonder if I could do that.
0: And what do you think turned that thought into this trip that you ultimately took? And how did you get there? This was 1987.
1: I thought, well, I'm going to do it. So I looked up who were the great people, who were the best people. I found an amazing outfitter, an amazing safari leader, a Lou Hallamore who was famous for being a big cat hunter. And I talked to them and I was warned by one of the members of Safari Club that I joined at the time, that if they didn't get Lou Hallamore as my guide to put the trip off until he was gonna give me the whole month that I needed to test what I wished to do, the, the man who was supervising the whole event said, you know, they don't do safaris like this very, very much anymore. You know, it's went out with, with with the previous earlier in the century. But if you want to do this, you know, I mean, if we guarantee you'll we'll have Lou Hallamore for a month, you will take this safari? I said, yes. If you guarantee me Lou Hallamore for a month, I'll go. I arrive in Africa. The guy who arranged the whole thing. You know, you made one mistake. I said, what's that? You didn't have a photographer to make a video of you doing all of this stuff. I said, well, if I made that mistake, I made it. But I brought a camera, you know, and lots of film, so we'll get pictures. He said, no, you need a real professional photographer. So I looked up. This was, this was not an inexpensive adventure. I listened to that. I said, ah, what the hell? Tell him he can come along. I mean, what's a couple hundred more
0: bucks when you've flown
1: all the way to Africa for a month, right? So off we go to Africa, and I've got everything researched. I've looked up all the animals, I did, studied their anatomy. I hand-loaded all of the ammunition, got all the rifles and, and guns sorted in perfectly.
0: So this this wasn't a trip to just go out and and capture a bunch of animals. This was a trip where you had planned and you had studied and you really wanted to test your ability to study and succeed in capturing some of the most incredible and and wild animals,
1: literally in the wild. This was meant to be a collection of super, super specimens. If they were not perfect specimens, I was not interested in shooting them. I did not have to prove that I could shoot. So off we go. We're out there about a week. I haven't shot anything. And the safari leader is saying, you know, if you don't decide to shoot something, you're not going to get anything. When I see the like, trophy animal, and I've got all of the statistics of what would make a trophy animal, i counting on you to identify that I'm getting something that fits on this whole little booklet of photographs that I've taken. This Lou Hallamore says, do you see that animal out there? I looked and said, yes, it's a diker. I see it. He said, we're going to shoot that. I said, wait a minute, that's not a trophy animal. He said, tell me, Howard, did you happen to see a butcher shop around here? Did you happen to see a supermarket? He said, we have to feed this team tonight. We need that animal, that's dinner. We are going to get close enough to be sure we kill it. I said, "Do you want that?" He said, "Yes." I kneeled down, took up my rifle. Bang! Took down. <laughs> he was speechless. He said, <laughs> Wait a second. So,
0: so he said, "We're gonna go get closer." And he said, "Nope, I'm good." How far away were you?
1: About 400 yards. 400 yards is four football fields.
0: Oh my God! You're right. It's four football fields away.
1: Yep. Bang! Dead. <laughs> and the team was standing there in shock, They're jumping up and down. Wow, look at that, <laughs> he killed that thing. And so we went and got it, and sure enough, we had a great dinner. But from from what I gather,
0: you weren't very surprised that you had executed that. You, you were confident in your abilities because you had practiced and you had studied.
1: I knew in the, the spirit of which I do things, which is if you're gonna do something, do it well, and just do whatever it takes to do it well. So I t- did enough practice shooting to know that if I could see it, I could get it. I knew what my limitations were, and I knew what my capabilities were. So that was something I knew I could do and did it.
0: Well, I think uh, <laughs> there's probably more to this story, but there's... a. Uh... There's a video out there that recaptures that, and maybe we can share that with some people, and they can get a chance to check it out on the on the Light Eye YouTube channel, and and see the adventure that you got to take. Because it really is fascinating, and I think it's wonderful, and it speaks to how you've done something really just incredible in the sense that you put your mind to it.
1: It's mind over matter. If you are, if you're willing to invest. In doing something well, you can do it. Just have faith in yourself and just just apply it and you'll see. You're given opportunities in life. Don't pass them up. If you get an opportunity to do something, you may be unsure of whether you will like it or not. It's not a problem. If you don't like it, you never have to do it again. If you do like it, look at what you've adv- look at what you've advanced yourself to. So anything you wish to do, just do it. If you don't like it, don't do it again. If you do like it, do it over, do it over, do it over until you're really great at it and you will become great at it. Well, there you
0: have it. That's some pretty profound, but straightforward and real life advice. When you're passionate about something, never give up and always try and always work harder. Howard, this has been a really fun conversation and I'd like to continue it in our next episode with you. (laughs) I'm happy to do that. But for now, we'll let everybody who's listening go. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Light Pod. Stay tuned for the next episode where we talk to Howard just a little bit more about what it means to be passionate about what you do and to never give up on what you want to pursue and ultimately accomplish. Hey, it's Sam. Thanks again for tuning into The Light Pod where we tell stories about people in the lighting industry their accomplishments, and the challenges they face each and every day. One more thing real quick. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and head back to your podcast app to hit follow or subscribe. That's the easiest way to make sure you never miss an episode. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Until then, cheers.